probably talking about the most important thing tonight and also a thing that I should be spending the most time on. Um, this, this is probably, in this material, is probably three, there's three sessions maybe on, on this subject of boundaries. Um, but we're only going to do one. I'm just going to, I'm going to just talk about one thing about boundaries and kind of lay a foundation. And next time, maybe the, at the next meeting when we come back, and we do some more CEUs and another another workshop. If you're interested, we'll just do the whole thing on boundaries, so you can kind of see um, what you think about the subject, uh, how how much you get out of it, and and how important it is. And then there, it really deserves its own its own course. But we have talked about uh, avoiding burnout and overload. We talked about living with margins. We um, talked about uh, balance, that it's so important to be balanced. Now we're going to talk about boundaries, and, and I call it the agony and the ecstasy <laughs> boundaries, because it has a, an element of, of both of those things. The discovery of limits, you know, especially for North Americans, uh, it can be a very dis disconcerting thing, because our entire continental experiment has been based on the mirage of limitless horizons, limitless opportunities, limitless human know-how, limitless freedom. Everything is without limits. And so thoroughly has the spirit of uncircumscribed potential been absorbed into our North American consciousness that to begin to question it is almost an outrage. It's almost like, oh, that's, that's sacrilegious to even talk about having limits. Of all the aspects uh, of the optimism that has informed our way of life, pr probably the most unshakable is the belief in limitlessness. Partly, no doubt, because the, of the boundless drive of our frontier forefathers, it has just left its mark on our imaginations, and partly also because of strong economic interests that are vested in maintaining that particular fantasy. Um, industry depends on it. The space program appeals in part because in the face of the deadly questions, you know, that nature and recent history have raised about this fantasy, sp space exploration seems to restore our faith in limitlessness. We can we can go beyond any limit. There is no limit. But the hard truth is that, at least here on this earth, uh, it, life has limits. Life has sidelines and life has inlines. And life can't be played out of bounds any more than baseball or football or any athletic game can be played out of bounds. There, there are boundaries. And any confusion of responsibility and ownership in our lives is a problem of boundaries. Just as homeowners set physical property lines around their, their land, and we need to set mental and physical and emotional and spiritual boundaries for our lives to help us distinguish what is our responsibility and what isn't our responsibility. The inability to set appropriate boundaries at appropriate times with the appropriate people can be very, very destructive. When we're confronted with our lack of boundaries, usually we raise these questions. Number one is, can I set limits 
and still be a loving person? And what are legitimate boundaries? And then what if someone is upset or hurt by a boundary that I set? And how do I answer someone who wants my time, my love, my energy, or my money? And why do I feel guilty or afraid when I consider setting boundaries? And how do boundaries relate to the subject of submission? And aren't boundaries really selfish? So these are the questions that come to mind. Now, in the physical world, boundaries are very easy to see. The fences, the signs, the walls, the, the moats with alligators, you know, manicured lawns, hedges. These are all physical boundaries. And they're differing appearances. They're just boundaries. They give the same message. And that is that this is where my property begins. The ownership of the property is the, the owner who owns that property is legally responsible for what happens on his or her property. Non-owners are not responsible for that property. That's, there's a boundary there. Physical boundaries mark a visible property line that someone holds deed to. Brown, boundaries in our lives are, are much the same. You know, boundaries define us. They, they define what is me and what is not me. A boundary shows me where I end and someone else begins, le leading me to a sense of ownership. Um, knowing what I am to own and take responsible, responsibility for gives me freedom. You know, when we talk about ownership, that's another way of saying accountability. Ca accountability is a biblical study. It's a biblical word, being accountable. So when I'm talking about ownership, I'm talking about accountability. And knowing what I am to own and take responsibility for gives me freedom. If I know where my yard begins and ends, I'm free to do with it what I like. So taking responsibility for my life opens up many different options. However, if I do not own my life, my choices and options become very, very limited. When you look at boundaries, I'm going to just give you some examples of boundaries. Boundaries are anything that helps to differentiate you from someone else or show where you begin and end. And these are some examples of boundaries. And I wish, I really wish I had a lot of time tonight because, man, we can, we can get into some things on this subject. So I'm just really laying a foundation. That's all, I, all, all I'll be able to do tonight. But one boundary is skin. That's... <laughs> That's probably the most basic boundary. The, the most basic boundary that defines you is your physical skin. You know, people often use this boundary as a metaphor for saying that their personal boundaries have been violated. He really gets under my skin. Your physical self is the first way that you learn that you are separate from other people. As an infant, you slowly learn that you are different from mother, from the mother or father who cuddles you, that you're, you're a different entity. The skin boundary keeps the good in and the bad out. It protects your blood and bones, holding them on the inside and holding them all together. It also keeps germs outside, protecting you from infection. At the same time, skin 
has openings that let the good in, like food and the bad out, like waste products. And so skin is a boundary. Victims of physical and sexual abuse often have a very poor sense of boundaries. Early in, in their life, they were taught that their property did not really begin at their skin. Somebody violated that. And so others could invade their property and do whatever, whatever they wanted to. That, that's, that's, a, that's a bad impression. That's, that's a bad thing to be taught. And as a result, they have a, difficulty, a lot of difficulty establishing boundaries later in life. So skin is that most basic boundary. But another, another boundary is words. In the physical world, offense or some other kind of structure usually delineates a boundary. In the spiritual world, fences are invisible. Nevertheless, you can create good protective fences with your words. And the most basic boundary-setting word, do you know what the most basic boundary-setting word is? No. <laughs> That's the most basic boundary-setting word. It lets others know that you exist apart from them and that you are in control of you. Being clear about your no and your yes is a very biblical theme. It runs through the Bible. Just uh, a couple of places, Matthew 5.37, James 5.12. It talks about the no and the yes. That element runs through. But, but that most you, you have to learn. There's, a, there's that basic word for setting boundaries is no, and you have to learn that. And then another, another boundary is truth. There is always safety in the truth, whether it's God's truth or truth about yourself. Many people live scattered and tumultuous lives trying to live outside of their own boundaries, not accepting and expressing the truth of who they are. Honesty about who you are gives you the value, gives you the value of integrity or oneness. Then there are, there's also the boundary of geographical distance. That's, that's a, quite a boundary. Sometimes you have to physically remove yourself from a situation to help you maintain boundaries. And you can do this to replenish yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually after you have given to your limit, you've reached your limit. Or you can remove yourself to get away from danger and put limits on evil. When a relationship is abusive, many times the only way to finally show the other person that your boundaries are real is to create space until they are ready to deal with their problem. And then another boundary is time. You can set that as a boundary. Taking time from a, off from a person or a project can be a way of regaining ownership or accountability over some out-of-control aspect of your life where boundaries need to be set. Another, another boundary is emotional distance. Emotional distance is a temporary boundary to give your heart the space it needs to be safe. It is never a permanent way of living. People who have been in abusive relationships need to find a, a safe place to begin to thaw out emotionally. Sometimes in abusive marriages, the abused spouse needs to keep emotional distance until the abusive partner begins to face his or her problems and becomes trustworthy. And that has to be built over time. 
I want to tell you that you, you should not continue to set yourself up for hurt or disappointment. If you have been in, a, in an abusive relationship, you should wait until it is safe and until real patterns of change have been demonstrated before you go back. You need that boundary. Many people are too quick to trust someone in the name of forgiveness. And, you know, people will use that against others, say, well, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian and you're supposed to forgive. But the Bible says in Luke 3.8, you're supposed to show fruit. That means that you've repented. And just saying it doesn't mean it's so. <laughs> to continue to open yourself up emotionally to an abuser or an addicted person without seeing true change is foolish. Like Ronald Reagan used to say, believe but verify. Forgive, but guard your heart until you see sustained change. And that's, that's part of boundaries. And then, you know, other people. Uh, sometimes you need to depend on others to help you set and keep boundaries. People subject to another person's addictions, controls, or abuses are finding that after years of loving too much, they can find the ability to create boundaries only through a support system. And I, that's why I think the church is so important. And the church needs to supply that. You know, that's, that's part of our business. We need to supply a support group and a support system. But you, a lot of times you need that. People's support system is giving them the strength to say no to abuse. You need to learn that word, no to abuse and control for the first time in their lives. A lot of times it's that support system that gives them the ability and the, the strength, the courage to be able to say that. And there are two reasons why you need others to help you with boundaries. One, your most basic need in life is for relationship. To be a hermit, to be cut off on your own is not a normal thing. Most of us long for and desire relationship. That's normal. That's your basic need in life is for relationship. And the second thing is you need new input and teaching. You need to have somebody have, have some input in your life, and you need some instruction. Just like what we're doing here, this is something that is so needed for you to gather information to help you. So you need a support. And this is, this is kind of a support group tonight, giving information. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about, okay, what is within my boundary? What, what does my, my boundary encompass? And to, to kind of introduce that, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Good Samaritan. I told you we were going to bring him back up again. And the story of the Good Samaritan is a model of correct behavior. In, in many, many dimensions. It, it is a tremendous story. But it is a good illustration of boundaries, when they should be both observed and violated. And imagine for a moment how the story might read if the Samaritan didn't have any boundaries, if he was a boundaryless person. He just didn't have any boundaries in his life, or not the ones that he needed to have. Now, you know the story. There's a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he's basically mugged, the robbers stripped him and beat him and they left him for dead and there was a priest that came by and Levi came by and they passed by on the other side of the road, they ignored the hurt man, but the Samaritan came by and he took pity on him 
and he bandaged his wounds, and he put him on his own beast, and he brought him to the inn, and he took care of him. And the, and the next day, the Samaritan gave the innkeeper some money, and he said, I want you to look after him, because, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that, that you may have. But I have some business I have to take care of. But now at this juncture, we'll depart from the familiar story just right here. Let's just suppose that this injured man wakes up at this point of the story. And he looks at the Samaritan and he said, what, are, are you leaving? Yes, I, I'm leaving. I have some business in Jericho I have to attend to. The Samaritan replies, I, I've, I've got to go. It's very pressing business. And this man says, well, don't you think you're being selfish? I'm kind of in bad shape here. I'm going to need somebody to talk to. You're abandoning me in, the, in my time of need. How can you just walk out? And the Samaritan, he sort of guilted into it. He said, well, I guess you're right. That maybe would be uncaring of me to leave you alone. And I should probably do more. And Well, I'll postpone my trip for a few days. So he stays with the man for three days. And when he was getting ready to, to go, the man, oh, you, you can't go now. I, I'm still in bad shape. So this, this Samaritan stays for three days talking to him, making sure that he's happy and content. But then on the afternoon of the third day, there's a knock at the door, and a messenger comes in, and he hands a Samaritan a message from his business contacts in Jericho. And it says, waited as long as we could, have decided to sell camels to another party. Our next herd will be here in six months. The Samaritan says, how can you do this to me? He screams and he's waving this message in the air. Look what you've done now. You have caused me to lose these camels that I needed for my business. Now I can't deliver my goods. This may put me out of business. How could you do this to me? His resentment, his anger boils over. Now at some level, <laughs> that story should be or may be familiar to all of us. We may be moved with compassion to give to someone in need, but then this person manipulates us into giving more than we want to give. You ever been there? Now, I wish I had time because there's a whole section in here on how they do that and how you have to still say no. But anyway, you probably already know a lot of the ways that they do that. And we end up resentful and angry having missed something that we need in our own lives. Or, or we may want more from someone else, and we, we, we're the ones who pressure them until they give in. And we just keep after them. They give not out of their heart and free will, but out of compliance. But they resent us for what they give. And really, neither one of us comes out ahead. To avoid those scenarios, we need to look at what falls within our boundaries, what are we responsible for? You know, we have, we have something, you know, we see uh, the boundary lines out there. Well, what's within those boundaries? What are we responsible for? What are we accountable for? Well, one thing that falls within those boundaries are, are feelings. Feelings play an enormous role in our motivation and behavior. How many times have we seen someone do a terrible thing to someone else and it was all over hurt feelings? Or how many times 
as someone that had to be hospitalized for depression after years and years of trying to ignore the way they felt until they finally became suicidal. Feelings should neither be ignored nor placed in charge. Feelings come from your heart and can tell you the state of your relationships. As I said, we can't really, we can't really let our feelings dictate to us. We've already been through that. But they can indicate some things about our relationships. They can tell you if things are going well or if there's a problem. If you feel close and loving, things are probably going well. If you are very angry, you don't even know why you're angry, you're just angry, then probably there's a problem that needs to be addressed. But the point is, your feelings are your responsibility, and my feelings are my responsibility, and you have to own them. You have to take accountability for them and see them as your problem. I have to see mine as my problem so we can begin to find an answer to whatever the issues are that they're pointing to. It's the issue you have to deal with, but they're the pointers sometimes. And then also within our boundaries, our attitudes and beliefs, Attitudes have to do with your orientation towards something. The stance you take toward others, God, life, work, relationships. Beliefs are anything you accept as true. You know, often we don't, we don't, we don't see an attitude or a belief as a source of discomfort in our lives. We don't, we don't see it that way. We blame other people. We need to own, we need to take account of, be accountable for our own attitudes and convictions because they fall within our property line. We are the ones who feel their effect and the only ones who can change them. The tough, things of, the tough thing about attitude is that we learn those attitudes very early in life. There is in Life Catalyst uh, curriculum, there is a, there's some sessions on attitude, and I talk about the things that go into constructing an attitude. And you need to just go back and, and, and find that and read that. It's the second part of a- attitude and the things that, cons- that go into constructing an attitude. You're not just born with an attitude, but you construct it over your life. And a lot of the things about attitude you learn very early in life. And they play a big part in the map of who we are and how we operate. People with boundary problems usually have distorted attitudes about responsibility. They feel that to hold people responsible for their feelings, choices, and behavior is a very mean thing to do. And and they have a very distorted look at life because they actually have an attitude problem and a belief problem. And then another thing that falls within our property line is... This, this matter of behavior, behaviors. Behaviors have consequences. As Paul says, you know, this is, this is a law. This is a law in life. And every major religion on the face of the earth has a saying exactly like what Paul said in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. And he said, whatever a man or a woman reaps, you know, it, Whatever they sow, they're going to reap. They will reap what they sow. That's a law. It's a biblical law, but that's just coincidental. It's just a law. You know, and and we know, and at least we should know, that there is a price tag attached to behavior. 
when we, a lot of times in, in, when we're talking in formal settings, we talk about prices. But what we really mean is that you reap what you sow. That's exactly what. There are price tags that are associated with behavior. They are, they are attached to behavior. If we study, we're going to reap good grades. If we go to work, we'll reap a paycheck. If we exercise, we'll probably reap better health. If we act lovingly towards others, we will have closer relationships. On the other side of the coin, on the negative side, if we sow idleness, irresponsibility, out-of-control behavior, then we can expect to reap poverty and failure and the, and the effects of loose living. It's what you, you reap what you sow. And it's your behavior. You're accountable for your behavior. And that's, that's in your boundaries. <laughs> and these things, you know, when you, when you reap this, though, these are natural consequences of our behavior. You can't blame your parents. You can't blame the church. You can't blame anybody for the consequences of your own behavior. You have to take accountability because that's in your boundaries. It's on your property. Right? <laughs> Another thing that's in your, in your boundaries and on your property is choices. We need to realize that we're in control of our choices. No matter how we feel, we're in control of our choices. Setting boundaries inevitably involves taking responsibility for our choices. You're the one who makes those choices. You're the one that has to live with the consequences of those choices. You're the one who may, who may be keeping yourself from making the choices that you should be making and that you could be making that you would be happy with. It's all in your boundaries. And then another thing that's within your, your boundaries is, is a matter of values. What we value is what we love and assign importance to. Often we don't take responsibility for what we value. When we take responsibility for out-of-control behavior caused by loving the wrong things or valuing things that have no lasting value, when we confess that we have a heart that values things that will not satisfy, we can take some ownership, some accountability for our values or lack of. The sixth thing that's within our boundaries is this matter of limits. Limits. There are two aspects of limits that stand out when it comes to creating better boundaries. One is setting limits on other people, setting limits on others. Now, that's the component that we most often hear about when we talk about boundaries, setting limits on other people. But in reality, setting limits on others is a misnomer. We cannot really do that. That's not actually possible. What we can do is set limits on our, on our own self as far as our exposure to people who are, who are behaving poorly, we can do that. We cannot change them or make them behave right. That's something we can't do. But we can set a boundary that says, you know what, I can't change them. I can't make them change, act right, but I can change me as far as where I'm going to be, and I'm not going to be with them. So I'm setting this boundary, and that's actually what we do when we talk about setting limits on others. But then the second part of setting limits is setting our own internal limits. We need to have space 
you know, inside ourselves where we can have a feeling, an impulse, or a desire without acting it out. That's that margin we're talking about. But we, we need that space. We need self-control without having repression. We need to be able to say no to ourselves. It's not just having the ability to say no to others, but we need to learn to say no to ourselves. This includes both our destructive desires and even some good ones that are not wise to pursue at a particular given time. Internal structure is a very important component of boundaries and identities, as well as ownership, responsibility, and self-control. Another thing that's within our boundaries is our talents. I think that Matthew 25, verse 23, and then picking up at verse 26 through 28, uh, just great verses for, you know, actually natural talents. It, it is actually the parable of the talents. One man given one, another given two, another given five talents, and, and how that they use those talents and how that the one misused the talents. And I don't think there's any passage that better illustrates our responsibility for ownership and use of talents than those verses and that story that Jesus told. It's a great story. And even though talents was a type of money, you can take it out of the realm of money and you can actually put it into natural talents and it works very, very well. It just applies to internal talents and gifts. Our talents are clearly within our boundaries and our, our responsibility. The parable of the talent Talent says that we are accountable, not to mention much happier, when we are exercising our gift and being productive. It takes work and practice and learning and resources and grace to overcome the fear of failure that would hamper us in using our talent. It's within our boundaries, our talents are. And God is saying, you know what, I, I, I invested that talent in you and I mean for you to use it. And it's up to you. You're accountable. You're accountable. And then another thing that's within your boundaries are your thoughts. And establishing boundaries in thinking involves three things. First of all, we must own our own thoughts. And here's that accountability again. We must own our own thoughts. Many people have, have not taken ownership of their thinking process. They are mechanically thinking the thoughts of others without ever examining them. They swallow other people's opinions and reasoning without ever questioning. Certainly we should listen to the thoughts of others and weigh them, but we should never take them without question. So we must, we must own our own thoughts because we're accountable for what we think. But then we need to also, you know, one kind of hits to the other, hitches to the other, we must grow in knowledge and expand our minds. We need to grow in every aspect of our lives, but especially in our thinking. We should exercise our minds with constructive things and not debilitating things. You need to have a boundary for what you allow in your mind. Your mind is a filter to your heart, and your mind will filter things out and never allow them to go into your heart. But if you allow them to stay there, then the mind will... <laughs> eventually allow that to sink down into your heart and will not be able to filter it out. And you need to limit TV and movies that are not condu conducive to having a wholesome and balanced mind. And then the third thing is we should clarify distorted thinking in, this, in our thought process because it's within our boundaries. 
We all have a tendency to not see things clearly, to think and perceive in a distorted way. And probably the easiest distortion distortions to notice are in personal relationships. We rarely, rarely see people as they really are. Our perceptions are distorted by past relationships and our own preconceptions of who we think they are, even sometimes the people that we know best, and so often we rush to the negative side in, in drawing conclusions. We don't really see clearly because of the logs in our own eyes, you know according to Matthew 7, 3 through 5. But taking ownership and setting boundaries in our thinking in relationships requires being active in checking out where we may be wrong, that we actually might be wrong about a situation. And as we assimilate new information, our thinking needs to adapt and grow. And, and don't be close-minded. You know, like say, well, that's this, you heard this about them, or you knew this about them, and that's it. But that's not all of it. People do change. Things happen. You know, I've, I've always used this illustration because to me it's so striking that the, the story, the Christmas carol, you remember Scrooge. And when we think of Scrooge, what do we think of? We think of a miser, a guy that's just a grasping, grinding hand at the grindstone. We all think of him. We call people a Scrooge, you know. But... The whole point of that story is that he had an epiphany. He changed. But you know what? We, we don't allow for that. We, we, still, we only take the first part of that. We don't think about the thing that, it, that he changed. Now Scrooge is just, he's always connected with being greedy and being mean. And I think we do that sometimes in our own thinking. But people... Change. We need to be able to assimilate new information and be able to adapt our thinking. We must own our thinking and set a boundary as far as judgments are concerned. We need to set that boundary in our thinking. And then another thing that's within our boundaries is desire, our desires. Our desires lie within our boundaries. Each of us has different desires and wants, dreams and wishes, goals and plans, hungers and thirsts. We all have different ones. We all want to satisfy me. But why is it then there are so few satisfied me's around? You know, everything's me, me, me. Well, why is it that the me, me, me's are not satisfied? Part of the problem lies in the lack of structural boundaries within our personality. We cannot define the real me, what the real me is and what we truly desire. Many desires masquerade as the real thing, but they're not the real thing. They masquerade. There are lusts that come out of not owning, not being accountable for our real desires. There are some people who are sex addicts that are looking for sexual experiences when deep down what they really desire is love and affection. There are people who have drug addictions and alcohol addictions when it's not the alcohol and drugs that they crave, but they're looking for peace in their life. And so our desires lie within our own boundaries. And so we need to learn to set boundaries in our life. And for setting boundaries in our life, there are ten laws of boundaries. Actually, these are biblical laws too, but they're just, they're just also natural laws for setting boundaries. The purpose of setting boundaries is to take care of ourself. 
being forced to learn how to set boundaries is a vital part of learning to own, to be accountable for ourselves, of learning to respect ourselves, of learning to love ourselves. Oh, you can't love yourself. No, he says love others as you love yourself. You know, that he didn't say don't love yourself. You should love yourself, and you need to learn to love yourself. If we never have set a boundary, then we'll never be in touch with who we really are. We will never escape the enmeshment of codependence and learn to define ourselves as a separate and a healthy way. God's world is set up in laws and principles. That's what I said. It's a lot, it's a lot, it takes a lot more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a believer because we see these laws, they, they never vary. And how in the world can you have these exact laws that never vary unless somebody put them into to motion. And they go through everything. And they also come down to us as individuals and, and, and they have to do with setting boundaries. So we're going to talk about the ten laws of boundaries. And the first one is the law of sowing and reaping. We mentioned that a while ago, but the law of sowing and reaping, the law of cause and effect is the basic law of life. If you go beyond Certain boundaries, there will be consequences. If you smoke cigarettes, you will pay the price in your health. If you overspend, you will end up in trouble and maybe ruin financially. On the other hand, if you eat right and exercise, you'll have better health. If you budget wisely, you will have financial security. So that's a law. We need to understand that in when we approach setting boundaries. There is the law. Number two, the law of responsibility. Many times when people hear a talk on boundaries and taking responsibility for their own lives, they say, well, Brother Weiser, that is so self-centered. We should love one another and we should deny ourselves. Or sometimes they actually become selfish and self-centered or they feel guilty when they, they do someone a favor. And these are the wrong views of responsibility. Problems arise when boundaries of responsibility are confused. We are to love one another, not be one another. You're responsible for yourself, and I am responsible for myself. And I want to tell you, another aspect of being responsible, too, is not only in the giving, but in the setting of boundaries on others' destructive and irresponsible behavior. It is not good to rescue someone from the consequences of their actions because you will only have to do it again and again and again. And all you do is reinforce the pattern. Read Proverbs 19.19. 19. It's the same principle in, children, in child rearing. It is hurtful to have limits, you know, to... To not have limits with others, it leads to destruction. Proverbs 23, 13. Then there is the law of power. And to, let's see if you, I was going to see if you have a clean, oh, there's, I knew there was a Kleenex box somewhere. Thank you. Got off without my handkerchief. The law of power. I'm a, when we get into some of these exercises, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of enlarge on this just a bit, or there's an exercise in there to help you reinforce this. But you have the power to set boundaries around what you were responsible for. You have the power to do that. That is the law of power. There is the law of respect. 
The law of respect is that you have the right to demand that others respect your boundaries. We have the right to, res to demand that people respect our boundaries, whether or not they respect us. That's not a necessity. They don't have to respect us, but they must respect the boundaries that we've set. Then we have the law of motivation in the law of, thank you, in, in the law of setting boundaries. So often there are false motives that keep us from setting boundaries. And, and some are this, the fear of loss of love or abandonment. People who say yes and then they resent saying yes, they fear losing someone's love. That's the motive for, for you know, saying yes. This is the dominant motive of martyrs. They give to get love, and when they don't get it, they feel abandoned. The second thing is the fear of others' anger. Because of old hurts and poor boundaries, some people can't stand for anyone to get angry at them. I just can't stand anybody to be angry with me. So I, I don't want to say no because if I say no, they'll be angry. I can't stand that. I'd rather live with this feeling of resentment than, than to know that they're angry. And then another one is the fear of loneliness. Some people give in to others because they feel that that will win love and end their loneliness. And so they, they, they say yes when they don't want to say yes. Fear of losing the good, the good me inside is another one. We are made to love, and as a result, when we're not loving, we are in pain. Many people cannot say, I love you, and I do not want to do that. They can't say that at the same time. That, that statement doesn't make any sense to them. They think that if I say I love you and I say no, I don't want to do that, that that contradicts, that the second statement says, negates the first one. It means I don't love you if I say no, I don't want to do that. But the truth is you can say both of those and, and still love them. Both of them would be true. No, I don't want to do that. Yes, I do love you. But some people can't say that. So that doesn't make any sense to some people. They think that to, to love means to always say yes. Another motive is guilt. Many people's giving is motivated by guilt. They are trying to do enough good things to overcome the guilt inside and feel good about themselves. And when they say no, they feel bad. So they keep trying to earn a sense of goodness. And that's the motive. And then some, is, some people don't want to say no because it has to do with payback. Many people have received things with guilty messages attached. For example, parents say things like, I never had it as good as you. Or parents would say, you know, when they, they give to their children, you should, see, you should really be ashamed at all you get. And they feel a burden to pay for all they've been given because the adults, you know, they want to make them feel bad. I didn't have that when I was a kid. You should be, boy, you really, you know, you really get things. You really are given things. And that's not their fault. But then they feel a burden to pay for all that they've been given. Another 
motive is approval. Many feel as if they are still children seeking parental approval. Therefore, when someone wants something from them, they need to give so that this symbolic parent will be well pleased with them. And then the, the last part of this is over-identification over with the other's loss. Um, you know, this is also a false motive. Many times people have not dealt with their disappointments and losses, so whenever they deprive someone else with a no, they feel the other person's sadness to the nth degree. They can't stand or hurt someone that badly, so they comply. I just can't stand or hurt their feelings, and so they comply. And then there is the, beyond the law of motivation, there is the law of evaluation. When you set a boundary and it makes another person angry because of its effect, you need to evaluate the boundary. But that does not mean you should avoid setting boundaries because somebody responds with hurt or anger. You, you have to set boundaries, but you also can evaluate a boundary. Say, well, am I right setting that right where I have set it? But to have boundaries is to live a, purpose, a purposeful life. And then there is the law of productivity or proactivity. You could do, say it either way. Many of us have known people who, after years of being passive and compliant, suddenly go ballistic. And we wonder, where did that come from? What, had, what happened? What has happened is that they have been compliant for years, and there's some pent-up anger that explodes. And this reactive phase of boundary creation is helpful because they just suddenly explode. <laughs> and in a reactionary way, they create a boundary. It's helpful, especially for victims. And that's another thing we, we need to talk about. I need to do about two or three sessions just on that subject of victims. But anyway, they need to get out of the powerless, victimized place in which they have been forced by physical or sexual abuse or by emotional blackmail and manipulation. And so I think it's, you know, in a lot of ways we should be glad for them to be freed from that. From their, they, should be, they should be emancipated from that. That's good. But when is enough enough? <laughs> you know, you have to be careful about the old pendulum. You swing this way. You know, they, they've been way over here, and they've swung back way over here, but you can't stay there. So when is enough enough? Reaction phases are necessary but not sufficient for the establishment of boundaries. Eventually, you have to rejoin the human race that you have reacted to and establish connections. You can't stay in a snit. <laughs> you can't live in the state of ire. You have to come back. And this is the start of the establishment of proactive instead of reactive boundaries. Proactive people show you what they love and what they want and what they purpose and what they stand for. These people are very, very different. They're very, very different from those that, that are known by what they hate and what they don't like and what they stand against and what they, and what they won't do. Reactive people are known for what they are against. Proactive people are known what they are, are known by what they're for. When you are proactive, you set boundaries and communicate those boundaries to anyone who tries to violate them. And that is that's 
if you're proactive, you say, you know what, I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. That's the line. And you communicate. Now, if I had time to go on, there's ways to communicate that in a loving way, but you have to communicate it nonetheless. And then there is the law of envy. And you say, well, what does, what does envy have to do with boundaries? Envy is probably the basest, basest emotion that we have. It was Satan's sin. Envy caused him to go beyond his boundaries. It was Adam and Eve's sin. Envy caused them to go beyond their boundaries. God has had set them, those boundaries, there they are. And Adam agreed to those boundaries, but envy caused him to go beyond those boundaries. Envy is a self-perpetuating cycle. When we look at what others have and we don't have or what they have accomplished and we have not accomplished, sometimes it makes us go beyond the boundaries that we've set, beyond the boundaries of our finance, beyond the boundaries of our physical strength, beyond the, beyond the boundaries of time available. So avoid envy. The ninth law is a law of activity. We must beware of setting a boundary inspired by laziness rather than by necessity. Sometimes we say we're setting boundaries with people. When we're not setting boundaries, we're just lazy. We're not, we're not setting boundaries. We're just plain rude. You know, we say we're setting boundaries with our times when we really don't want to do that. We want to do what we want to do with our time. So we say, well, we're setting this boundary here. It really doesn't have to do with legitimately setting boundaries. So the law of activity, we need to also obey the law of exposure. The law of exposure says that your boundaries need to be made visible to others and communicated to them in relationship. We must not try to keep silent about the boundaries that we want. We need to set them and communicate them to those we are in relationship with. Now, I would love to take off and teach, but we're going to end here. But I want to just say, and each one of these is a session. But the ones that we need to set boundaries with and, and to apply these ten laws, we need to set boundaries with our friends. We need to set boundaries with our spouse. We need to talk about boundaries and setting boundaries with our children. We need to set boundaries with our coworkers and our the, that is in church and on the job. We also need to set boundaries in ourselves, applying these ten laws that I just said. Then we'll do that in a future time, but you need to apply the ten laws to each one of these. And that's all the time I'm going to have for this, but I hope it's been a blessing to you. We just laid the foundation. Boundaries are so very, very important. And I do want to, I just want to say, while you're there, and if you will, um, if you will look at your, your exercises again, I'm just going to go over these very, very briefly. And then I'm going to, I'm going to talk to you about something complete, completely different. But if you go to, you remember we talked about saying no, saying yes, that you have the right to set the you power. We talked about empowerment. Um, I want you to look at the, the first one is assertive rights, this one. It's in your packet. And what I really want you to do is take this home, keep track 
of the opportunities to be assertive and, and uh, you know, um, well, how you responded to them. Uh, that's actually this one, the assertion diary. Keep track of the opportunities to be assertive, your response to them, the feeling that you had as a result. Keep track of them over the days. And then um, was I satisfied with my response? Other people's assertive responses. This is just an, a diary that you need to keep. Assertive rights is this activity is just is, is designed to help in setting boundaries by declaring the right to be assertive. You take this home, put it in a place where it can be seen. You need to keep filling it in. There's some there's some places down here that are blank. You need to to think of some of uh, your own that you need to write. Put this on the refrigerator. Put it somewhere where it can be seen and look at this uh, every single day. I have the right. I have the right to say no. I have the right to take power in this situation. I have the right to be an individual. I have a right to set boundaries. I have a right. And so you need to do that. And then I, I have one more that I just, it's very, um, very simple and very self-explanatory. Do any of these stressors hit home? Now, we've been talking about from beginning to end, from the very first time that we, we opened up these sessions to right now, we have been talking about stress. We have been talking about all stress up, no place to blow. And this is just a checklist. Do any of these things, you know, look down this list. There's a lot of things there that would generate stress in our lives. And there's some that you can fill in on the bottom for yourself. Do any of these ring a bell? And it's just, this is an awareness exercise. Just to make you aware of what's happening during a day, what's happening in a week, what's happening in a month, what's happening in your life, and that these things generate stress. And when you're aware, you know, knowledge leads to power. And you can... You can deal with these stressors if you're aware that they exist. And that's what these exercises are all about. These are for you to keep. They're not to hand in. This is for your own good, your own uh, use. Keep them. Think about them. Meditate on them. If in a perfect world we would have had time to discuss these, but we don't have time, it would have been nice to have some discussions. I think it would, be, would have been incredible to hear what many of you ha had to say, but maybe uh, – Maybe you can just discuss them among yourselves. Maybe you already have. Now, I want to tell you something completely different. Um, and pastor's going to come and, and take this service um, after I'm done with this. But he uh, allowed me to take the time to mention to you about a project that we're involved in. Um, I have developed a, 